do this real quick before I forget. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Parlay, Real People, Real Talk. I have here today my good friend and my Capoeira instructor, Professor Sofit of Kadera Capoeira. Professor, welcome. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for those who don't know who you are. Hey, it's great to see you, Sifu. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's always a pleasure to get a chance to talk with you and, and um, spread my message out to even more people. Uh, so I'm, I'm Soketch. That's my Capoeira Apelido, which is like a nickname that's given to you in Capoeira. Uh, I've been doing Capoeira for 24 years, but I've been a martial artist for 35, I think. Now. Wow. I started when I was very young. Uh, I was about 10 years old, 1986. And my parents had just split up and uh, my family was dealing with like my older brother having a brain tumor. And uh, I decided to get into a karate class that had just moved into the church hall. It was like five houses down from where I live. <clears throat> so I started to, to get into that class and it became like the only time that I ever felt like I was at home, the only time I ever felt at ease and where I could be myself. Uh, it was a, it was called Zendu Kai Karate Do Freestyle. So it was a Goju based system. Um, but they did like a lot of freestyle kickboxing in the way they would train and stuff. And the class wasn't a kid's class, it was an adult's class. I lived across the road from uh, a gigantic army barracks in, in Brisbane, uh, in Australia where I came from. And so 90% of the people in the class were like military infantry guys who were training to work on their skills and then seeing if they worked in the bars on the weekend. And I was one of four kids in the class, 11 years old, so from an early age, I, I got I got I got subjected to that martial thug mentality, uh, but it was good because it was kind of a, a great opportunity for me to let out some of my issues and uh, and also see um, what it's like to train with people who are who are grown and have their own issues to deal with. Um, and it was a, it was a great experience. But then you know a couple of years later, the school moved away. Um, and I had no martial arts left. Uh, again, I sort of felt lost and felt uh, disconnected from my family and, and the situation I was in. And a couple of months later, a Taekwondo school had started training there. And one afternoon, I noticed a bunch of people in white uniforms walking from the parking lot into the, the church hall. And I was like, ooh, what's this? What's this? So I, I walked into the, uh, the, the church hall and sort of bowed on my way in and then sat down to watch the class. And it was a more kid-oriented class. There was probably 80% kids and 20% adults. And they trained for a while and I was watching. And I guess at about two-thirds of the way through, it looked like, oh, I was a, uh, I was watching the class and they were doing in Capoeira what we call a Martello Cruzada, but it's like a jumping, spinning, double crescent kick. And I'm watching these kids all try it and they were struggling. And I must have had a bit of a smirk on my face knowing that I could do that. I had achieved a brown belt with a black hip with the karate school before they moved away. And so I'm, I'm watching these kids and I must have had the smoke and the teacher was uh, looked over at me. He was like, oh, you think you can do that? And I was like, oh, I guess so. And I got up and I did like one and then a second and then a third all in a row. And she was like, oh, okay. So I guess you're going to stick around and do the rest of the class then. And it was the first opportunity I had to get back into the only thing that made me feel whole. So I was like, yep, yeah, okay, great. And I started to uh, to join in the class and, and kept training. And the teacher started to put everybody through their paces. The teacher was like, 
you know, we just like squat, front kick, squat, front kick, squat, 50 of those, and then the squat, roundhouse, squat, roundhouse. And I think that what she was doing is, this was a, she was a female instructor, I think she was looking for my quit. But I didn't have any quit that day because this was the first chance I had to do something that I hadn't done in a long time, that, you know, six, eight months that made me feel whole. So I just kept pushing through and pushing through and pushing through. It was the best day I'd had in nine months. And at the end of the class, she kind of pulled me aside and she was like, hey, so it looks like you've had some training before. Would you like to start training here? And I was like, well, you know, it's kind of tough. Um, I was uh, one of five kids in a single parent family. My mum was spending a lot of time on welfare. So we didn't really have the, the funds to commit uh, because you know, my, my dad had left a couple of years before. And she was like, well, let me meet your mum. I want to talk to you. And so I went home and brought my mum back in the next class. It was a couple of days later. She had a chat with my mum and they sort of talked off to the side. And then she's like, okay, here's your uniform, start training. And for me, it was, it was an amazing moment where someone had recognised that passion that I had and they had recognised a potential that I might have. And they put themselves at a place where they were running at a loss. She just gave me a uniform for free and my mum had agreed to pay like 20 bucks a month for classes. And I didn't know what the deal was, but she was like, you're going to stay and you're going to train and you're going to keep working. Uh, and so that was amazing. I spent a couple of years training with them and uh, worked in high school in Australia. We have high school sport. So I got to do boxing. I did boxing for a year or two as a high school sport, elective sort of uh, sport for high school. So I managed to take those skills and, and work with them. And then uh, I get like I didn't get that brown the black belt with the karate school because they moved away just before I got to that oh. brown belt. And was suck because you knew you always want to have that goal, and especially with that Western mindset, you're always looking for that level of achievement. And then by the time I got to a brown belt with a black tip at the Taekwondo school, um, I had had some issues, got sort of kicked out of school, and and I was trying to join the navy. The Navy finally got back to me and they were like, okay, here's your start date. The start date that they sent me was three weeks before the black belt grading for the Taekwondo school. So I had to make a choice. I was like, do I go and join the Navy or do I stay and wait for another possible year or two before I get the right intake to go again? So I took that choice and, uh, and I moved off and joined the Navy and spent some time in the military working with the, the gunnery um, sailors that work on the ships and it was an amazing experience when I got out of that I did uh, some kickboxing trained with some real thugs and then in 1996 I saw the movie Only the Strong and there was a movie I still like vividly remember seeing myself standing in front of the DVD cover in the blockbuster great movie was, I'm gonna down and take this film home and I'm gonna watch it and I watched it and it was mind-boggling that there was this amazing art that was like acrobatics and dance and music and martial arts all mixed together um, but it was and the internet so it was hard for me to know uh, how to find a school and so I spent like three or four months talking to everybody I knew who spoke who, who trained in and did physical exercise, whether it was martial arts or training community centers. And eventually somebody came to me with a flyer and was like, here, you got to check this out. And uh, so I started training that same night in Capoeira. And 24 years later, here I am um, 
with my own academy here in Toronto, uh, halfway around the world. At what point? Uh, okay, we got to break for a second. Go to your. Can you see where it says Cam and Mike at the bottom? Yeah. Okay, click on that. Go to audio. Audio. Yeah. See, there should be a box that says echo cancellation. Yeah, it's ticked. Is it ticked? What about uh, automatically adjust mic volume? That's there as well, ticked as well. It's ticked as well? Yeah. Fucking hell. I heard it too. I heard an echo of myself for a second. Yeah. Um, fuck, why is it doing that? You have your headphones on, right? Yeah, I have the headphone on and the mic is separate. See, now we're talking, it's not doing it. That's really odd. Because every time I try to, uh, when I try to engage conversation, I'm getting that. It's like in the transition between your voice going into mine. So maybe what we do is we have that pause uh, when I'm about to speak and just so that we don't have that. Let's try that. Sorry, man. I'm just yeah, trying to adapt. If, if, if we have that pause, then I can mute my mic as well, which will yeah, That might work. So I'll mute mine when you talk, and then um, we'll, we'll do that up. All right. All right. So you just finished saying you got the okay. Fuck, I hate, I hate, <laughs> I fucking hate when you like this happens. Yeah. So at what point, at what point did you decide, uh, like once you fall in love with the capoeira, at what point did you decide that this was going to be your primary art that you were going to follow and immerse yourself in? What about it drew you to it? What about the the art or the, or the culture? What about, what, what was it that made you fall in love? Great question. So like I'd spent a long time training these other arts and when i was training uh, when i got out of the navy i was I spent a bit of time partying and and then i hung out with a bunch of really like nasty guys and and the kickboxing i was doing with, the, with these guys it wasn't like a formal class we would just get together and kick the bag until your shins bleed and it was like then you worked hard enough and we just literally crack the, the heck out of each other inspiring and, and then get into like grappling because it was like early days of UFC and we're just basically trying to be tough and, and fighting and, and beating the heck out of each other. When I discovered Capoeira, I was like, oh, that's really beautiful. It's really interesting and it looks really challenging. So the first teacher I had, um, he was an amazing acrobat, he was an amazing musician, but he failed to meet the expectations I had martially. He, he was very young when he left Brazil and traveled the world doing a lot of shows and doing a lot of performances. So all of the, the dynamic performative elements of Capoeira, he was highly skilled in, but the strategic and technical knowledge of movements and, um, and combative elements of Capoeira were really lacking. So I had a, an issue with uh, my ex-wife where her whole family had sort of done a bit of an intervention because I was spending too much time training and too much time uh, away from home. The, the work I'd been doing in Capoeira had been enough to get me a job working as a stunt performer in a theme park. And so they were like, well, you should just be able to have fun doing that and not do any other like extracurricular stuff and just come straight home and be the parent and be the father. And, you know, sometimes, you know, being a good parent doesn't, always fit that nine to five mold. Sometimes it's, it's about different things. But I listened and I was like, okay, so I stopped training for about six months 
And then one day a friend of mine came to visit me at the theme park and he's like, hey man, this new guy just came into town. He's been teaching at our school. He's uh, like a crazy couple of ministry and you got to meet him. I think you're going to love him. So I was like, okay, I'll go along. And I just decided to go after after work. So I had no plan to go. I didn't have the budget to go and pay for an extra class or anything. I was just like, I'm going to go along and watch. And when I walked into the room, I met him and, and was introduced to him. And my other friend was training. And he's like, oh, you so you train too? And I was like, yeah, but I haven't trained in a bunch of months because, you know, I've been having some troubles at home. And, and it's better that, I, you know, I just do whatever. And he was like, oh, you're going to train today? And I was like, no, I don't really have the money to train and I wasn't expecting to train, so I'll just sit and watch. And he said to me, he's like, you, you love Capoeira? And I was like, man, it's amazing. I believe it's really beautiful. He's like, then I want you to train. I don't want you to pay. I just want you to train. Just have fun. Just join in. And again, it reminded me of that first Taekwondo teacher who was the philosophy teacher who, or philosophy student who was just an amazing mentor and uh, a person who had the vision to see potential, to see uh, a person's passion and then just say you know what it's not about business for me it's about lifestyle it's about people and it's about uh, feeding people their passions so I was really taken back and I was like oh, okay I'll join you and it took about 15 minutes of training in this guy's class before I could tell oh he's got the martial understanding he's got a level of, of uh, teachability and teaching ability the other first teacher did not have. It was like going from a primary school or a kindergarten teacher to walking into a room with a university professor. Every movement, every step, in the positions in each movement, he's like, this is why you need to be here. This is why you need to be there. This is really valuable. If you don't make this checkpoint across the movement, then you're gonna find you have problems later on in your game. Um, and he was just a, a hard man who grew up in a different region of Brazil. His capoeira had grown with a different um, set of priorities and objectives. And uh, it, was, it was amazing. So once I started training with him, uh, I couldn't stop. Uh, I still had the problems at home. So I was trying to like sneak into a class here and there. And then uh, I kind of got in a little bit of trouble. So I had to stop for another month or two. And then it, it turned out that his situation had changed. He came to Australia in order to just do shows and teach and learn. Um, I'm sorry, do shows and, and perform. And he was there on a, on a visa to do shows and performance, which is one of the ways that Capoeira has spread throughout the world. But because he was there, one of the other guys he was doing the shows with was my original teacher. And he was like, come and teach for me. He had no intention of staying in Australia. He was planning to go home. But then some things had gone wrong uh, at his house back in Australia and he decided he was going to stay. So then he said, well, if I'm going to stay, I'm going to start my own school. Because his style and his philosophy and his methodology was very different from my first teacher. So after he started his first school, then I started training with him again. I went back to his school and started training with him. And uh, yeah, it, it filled all the gaps that I was lacking you know, with that first teacher. So. And uh, and Yamesh, was he? What was his background? Was he specific to just capoeira, or did he also have a diverse background um, in other martial arts? He had done a little bit of uh, taekwondo cross training when he was younger, but his master um, 
was a, a state boxing champion and a national karate champion, I think, before he started training Capoeira. So when you think about the evolution of the art form, 100 years ago, Capoeira wasn't as martial as it is now. And it's taken individuals to, to grow the art uh, in certain phases of the history of Capoeira. So um, my, when I first met Mestri Cicatriz, the group name was a different name. And it was created by the found that was founded by the guy who is my master's master's master. And he's never managed to evolve past a certain phase of the art form. But my master and his master, with all of their other experiences, had evolved and seen how the growth in Capoeira in Rio de Janeiro was very different to other areas of the world or other areas of Brazil and had more of a martial element. So he, um, and his master, Mr. Lothar, who passed away last year, really turned the corner for our group as far as the technicality and the understanding and the strategy and the martial elements. And that's one of the reasons why our master decided to step away and, and create his own group in 2013, just again because of philosophical and, and, and methodological viewpoints. Different. Now, now for each for each mesh or each uh, group, I find like, and this is a person who's not really immersed in capoeira. I just, I just, I come play. Like I say, capoeira is a place where I go and treat myself. I love to go there. Every time I go there, I enjoy myself so much, especially um, when I was able to be there for music uh, and play and did the hold up, but very, very light. But. It was so it was so fun and the, the like physical workout I got was amazing, but I always noticed like when I started like looking at other videos and uh, paying attention, it seems like every group not only do they have a specific flavor of how they train, but they also have their own very distinct sound on how they play the music. Can you speak to is that part of the identity of the group uh, for Capoeira camps that they they show themselves through their movement but also through the way they play the music. Yeah, the music's a really expressive and an important part of Capoeira. With the music that is played is usually a, what they call a bateria. So you have a three beating bars, which are tall, single string instruments, um, what looks like a conga, which we call atabaki, and a pandero, maybe some other instruments to supplement. But every group has their own set of like how they set the instruments up, what rhythms are played and how things are meshed together. And the music will create a particular kind of energy. In Capoeira's history, um, the, our first traditional style of Capoeira is called Capoeira Angola. And they work with like three main rhythms for their father when they play Capoeira. Um, and then they have other rhythms that are ceremonious or that will alert because Capoeira was outlawed, there's a rhythm that says, hey, the cops are coming. So as much as we might think bad boys, bad boys, there was basically a Capoeira rhythm that would say that. And then everyone's like, mm-hmm, I'm out. And they would just disappear as soon as they heard the rhythm. One of the interesting things, one of the interesting things about Capoeira Hotter is it's played in a circle. And one of the reasons it's played in a circle is because everybody looking into the circle can also see over the shoulders and over the backs of everybody else in the circle. So That's dope. you have that you have that 360 like we're good we're good we're good and then someone's like cut it boom 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 rhythm changes and everybody just disappears 
so each different rhythm that gets played uh, with the bidding bar tells the players to play a different kind of game. So there are some rhythms that like to say to play a very traditional, a very old style, a very less martial kind of game. And then there's rhythms that sort of say, well, let's pick the pace up a little. And then there's rhythms that say, okay, let's mix it up and let's, let's get at it. And then there's rhythms that say, all right, let's play a super strategic game where you're trying to dominate space and mark shots, but without an aggressive intention. And then there are rhythms that are ceremonious that will stay use if, like last year when I said uh, our mastery, Mr. Lotar, passed away. So there's a ceremonious rhythm called Iuna that we all played here, and I guarantee all of the other schools within a couple of days of his passing would have had some kind of ceremony where they all stand around in the circle of the Hoda and play the rhythm Iuna, which is supposed to celebrate uh, the life and the passing of, of the master, help their spirit to you know, find the next plane. And the game that gets played in that is not combative. It's not in any way martial. It's all about the celebration and the joy, the acrobatics and the control uh, and the sharing of space without having to uh, bump heads. So the rhythms and the music are really, really important. In our school, we play a couple of rhythms for our hodders very specifically, and we don't play other rhythms that other schools have. So yeah, absolutely, every school will have their own style of play, still the jogu, and they'll have the rhythms that they play, and the rhythms will dictate what kind of game to play. But also beyond that, then the songs and the context of what's being sung, because there's call and response music, uh, that will also dictate what kind of game. So there, is, there are songs that will be like, you know, I just want to see you play nice, everyone play pretty. And then there's songs that are like, like breaking, killing, breaking. And then there are songs that will have a hint. There's metaphor. So there's a song um, that's sung about a place in, in Brazil where you can get this thing called acarajé. No mercado modelo tem acarajé. Now, every time I go to Brazil, I make sure to eat acarajé. It's a delicious, like, sweet bread with a spicy um, camarão. What do they call it here? Um, shrimp. With a yeah. spicy shrimp, like, paste wow. in the middle of it. And because it's spicy, when people sing that song, the concept is like, oh, let's mix it up a little. I'm not saying kill each other, but I want to see you guys you know, push each other a little harder. That's so dope. You know, one of the other arts that kind of has that, like, maybe not the same way because there's no actual vocals, but I liked it. I liked that how, you know, these two arts were so far away from each other. Like Thailand will also have the music kind of the beat intensify or slow down. And it's really cool to see how music, no matter where, what martial art, there's always some kind of correlation with music. Now, one thing that I, I remember seeing at your school, I thought was really cool was because there's no other, I've never seen another art to test or level up the same way that Capoeira does with the batizado. And that's like, that means baptism. Explain how that how that is. Because I think, I, I came to watch one uh, when you were at the old place, uh, out of working out of that uh, the Thai gym there. But I remember coming to watch and I filmed it. it was, I just thought it was awesome. People's family was there. It was a great vibe. Can you explain what the batizado is? Absolutely. But before, like you said, with the, the Thai music, right, and the, the horns and the, and the beats and the drums, there's a, almost a transient state that you hit, right? If you're really zoned into the music, yes. then it helps you get there. And, and then 
you've got Pentaxelat, right, which also yes. had, had an, a musical element where things were taught like almost like a dance. And again, there's a parallel with Capoeira where there was the outlawing and there was the idea of disguising and things like that. Um, but music definitely has a meditative quality as well, right? One of the things people always talk about and they're like the joy when I have a Capoeira class or when I go to an event or, you know, it's it's that, that camaraderie and, and whatever like harmonic frequencies hit. Give me goosebumps, man. It's, it's, it's absolutely palpable. Um, so batizados are an event where you're going to feel the most intensified level of that kind of um, that kind of vibe. In Capoeira, they only grade once a year, and it's they call it a batizado trocadicoagus, which means it's a baptism or it's a change of belt. So most groups don't have the grading on that day. Most groups won't even have a formal evaluation. The evaluation has happened at every class and every yeah. day and every session over that year. So you're either ready for it or maybe you're not. So the batizado is a, is a baptism. Everybody that comes to join Capoeira, their first batizado is their initiation. So traditionally, the batizado started with a guy called Mestri Bimba, who was the first person to really put a martial drive into the, the way Capoeira was played and the rhythms that were played. And so his original batizado was you had a bunch of two-person kata forms, right, that you needed to learn. And you would learn those eight forms. And once you could perform them without making a mistake, one after the other, or eight, then the master would be like, okay, it's time for your batizado. And it could happen at any time. So then he would start playing a rhythm and he'd look at one of his boys and he'd be like, go and play with him. And that would be the first time you actually played an improvised game of capoeira. So you've, now you've got to make it up, right? I was just teaching a class and I was talking about the concept of um, navigating the space I'm in. I've got to learn to move around and then I've got to learn to negotiate for that space with my opponent. Yeah. So you're learning to move in a, not a negotiation, but in an agreement for X amount of time. And then he's like, okay, now it's time for you to make it up and go along on your own. And so the theory was you'd play with one of these uh, more baptized or more experienced Capoeira players. And at some point they would take advantage of a foot sweep or a takedown and that would be the first time you played and the first time you hit the floor. And then he'd be like, okay, here's your sash, here's your belt, well done. And then he had other levels. So that tradition has been maintained in Capoeira uh, in contemporary schools because traditional Capoeira doesn't have belts at all. And so, if it's your Placidado, you train, you've probably played by now, but it's the first time you've played like a master or a professor or someone from a visiting school. So there's still that kind of nerve. You get called up, you get given your bell, you've already watched these other masters and professors play in a crazy dynamic exhibition and you're like, wow, those guys are good. Now you have to face off against one of them knowing that their objective is to put you on your ass. <laughs> right, so that changes your choices when you navigate and negotiate for space, and then eventually, boom, you hit the floor. Hopefully, with a level of control that's not going to cause you any injury, you, you get the handshake and off you go. Trocadero court is a little bit different because most students don't know: did I do enough this year? Did I not? And at our group, we have a bunch of prerequisites. You need to have done an X number of classes, and you need to have 
proficiency in this uh, in these movements and these movements and these movements and you need to be able to teach me and you need to be able to play instruments to certain levels but when your name gets called up and that bell gets pulled out it's the best feeling of the day like oh my god it's yeah, great uh, but are amazing it's it's usually uh, a weekend festival where people come from groups all over however whatever region you're connected with so here in toronto uh, here in Kadara, we have people that come from Montreal, people that come from BC, people that come from the US, people that come from Brazil, people that come from Australia, and they'll all sort of merge together here for this three days, and there'll be workshops, and there'll be parties where everyone gets to play, and then there'll be the grading day and after party. It's a heck of a weekend. But it's always uh, the most high you're going to reach the peak of that vibe and that joy that Capoeira really brings to the table. That sounds amazing. I would love to, um, if we ever get a chance to, to do it again, I'd love to uh, I'd love to come watch one of those men. And uh, when you started that, and you started doing the acro portion of it, did you find that a, a very challenging, because I know you have training in martial arts prior. So movement is movement. If you have some training, you usually have some coordination capability so you know you just have to work at picking it up but acro is different it's not like going from one kicking style to another kicking style this is a kicking style that you're also standing on your hands or in in mid-flight how was that to try to learn how challenging was the acro the amazing thing about capoeira is that there are so many disciplines to become proficient in and so you've got a musical element and you've got the acrobatic element and you've got the movement element and the interesting thing is that most people to come to class they have some level of skill or experience or exposure in one of those areas and that's an area where they're self and then in other areas they will feel that they have things to work on. so because when i started with this first group straight kicks jumping kicks all of the martial concepts i was like yep got it makes sense yep got it makes and then they're like, okay, we're going to do these little spins across the floor down the room. And then we're going to do all these cowbells. And I would just get dizzy. And I'd be like, oh my God, what am I doing? What's the point? It's so crazy. It's so hard. Uh, so for me, the acrobatic and the, the dance element of Capoeira was definitely a challenge. It took some time to get used to. Uh, but I enjoyed the process. And I enjoyed being out of my element for a change after so many years doing regular sort of striking concepts up to then look at what makes Capoeira different and that's the, the movements between moments. Because if you look at two boxers, right, there's moments, there's an exchange and then they move away and you're going to throw some feints and you're going to shift a little bit to the left, you're going to take a quarter turn, you're going to look, you're going to move your head a little bit and then you're going to re-engage. So every art form that you're going to find martially has the movements between the moments. Mm, I like that. So it's just a capoeira embellishes so much on their movements between the moments. And they are so expressive and so artistic and so dynamic with the movements between the moments that it, it, it definitely is a an area where a lot of people are like, oh, this is kind of hard. Now, I'd done a little bit of gymnastics when I was a kid, so the handstands and the cartwheels were fine. But then when it's just like, we're going to squat down on this one leg and spin and spin and spin, and then we're going to spin over here. I was just, it was very dizzying and it was very, 
from a martial point of view, I was like, this is too much on the floor. I feel like I'm vulnerable. But one of the important things to understand with any martial art is that your martial art has objectives. So I, I kind of have this habit of, of categorizing martial arts. You have martial arts, and then you have martial sports, and then you have fighting sports, and then you have combat systems. Now, I spent time in the military, that was a combat system. When I was doing Taekwondo, that was a, what nowadays is perceived as a, as a fighting sport. The traditional style of Taekwondo I was doing was more Shotokan based, so it wasn't a fighting sport, but I would still put it in because it's so kicky and so minimal in hands, but it's a fighting sport. Each one of those categories or each one of those arts that fit into those categories, they have a set of objectives and they have a set of intentions. From the martial art to the full combat sport, there's a different level of objectives and a different level of what you consider to be your intentions. When I was in the Navy and we were training boarding parties to, to jump on other ships with people we didn't know, there was a clear objective. If you or me, I've got to do what I need to do and I'm going to make sure I'm safe and my team members are safe. It's kill or be killed. When I was doing the karate's and taking those and we're sparring and we're fighting, it's like learn and help and try not to get hurt and try not to hurt somebody else too much. So the objectives are still with a fairly... Um, victory or failure levels to the objectives it's just the the consequences of those um the consequences of the intentions that vary from those four categories macapuera is a little bit different because it's not created with that singular objective it's not created with i'm just going to win it's more of a the journey beats the destination and while sometimes our ego can get in the way and we take the point that's there you might find a capoeirista will show and demonstrate coulda, woulda, shoulda, and then let it go in order to allow the journey of the game and the conversation of the game to continue. And that's really a, a, a separating factor for capoeira. So the movements between the moments become more acrobatic and become more um, expressive on the floor and in the air because you know it's, that's not the sole objective of your opponent. And you, with any kind of uh, combative or confrontive situation, we learn to read the actions and intentions of our opponents or the people that we're working with. And we start to gauge what level of potential danger or potential risk we're at. So if I'm playing with a more highly skilled uh, capoeirista who is going to have a much better opportunity to take me and put me on my ass or kick me in the face, then I might dial back how much of the expressive and how much of the vulnerable, pretty movements that you'll see in my capoeira in exchange for more guarded and more precise and more cautious movements. I will still use fancy things in between, but they'll be fewer and far between and there'll be less of them in a row. Yeah. So with the martial versions of capoeira, I will say, like, you go to the floor and you back up within less than two seconds. But if I'm playing a different kind of game of capoeira, like the Bangela, the Bangela, then I will spend much more time on the floor because there's not a, a martial objective or not as uh, aggressive a martial objective. Do you ever have students... Let me try it again. 
Do you ever have students that um, they come to your classes, but you know, uh, some of them maybe have uh, like they're self-conscious about how they look because sometimes doing some of these movements, you're really, it's really alien to you. And um, like sometimes if people don't like feeling like they don't know what they're doing or feeling like they, they look silly trying to do something, um, just like in any martial art, you know, there's some people that come out, they want to do it badly, but they just have this problem, this confidence problem. How do you help somebody um, find the find the way to, to stick it out and just and just keep doing it? How important is the culture you create at the school there, and how do you how do you deal with somebody who's reluctant? Great question. Uh, look, human nature is human nature. Uh, I, I worked as a personal trainer in Australia from two thousand five until I left, and I, I still do that kind of stuff here. And one of the things we always say with any kind of physical exercise is that people tend to do the things that's easy for them. So if you're big and thick and strong, you're going to go to the gym and you're going to do weight training. If you're lean and super flexible, you're going to find yourself loving the yoga class. If you're lean and have great cardio, but you're not so flexible, maybe running is more your thing. Whatever your body type is making you, uh, or more accommodates the sport. Yeah, the sport is going to be dictated by your regular body type and what comes easy to you. We all have different natural abilities. We all have different um, movement histories. And so uh, that's a really important thing. The younger people start moving and the younger people start to exercise and use their body, the more physical literacy they have, the more physical, physical literacy you have, the more easily you're going to be able to try and uh, absorb new techniques, new movements, and new information. There's a lot of people that haven't had the luxury of having a lot of movement when they're young. And there's a lot of people who just want to stick with what's easy for them. And that's always a challenge, finding people who are in the gym and saying, okay, you're big and you're strong. Let's look at trying to make you more supple. So, you know, strength without flexibility is an injury waiting to happen. Flexibility without strength is an injury waiting to happen. Either of those things, flexibility and strength, without stability is an injury waiting to happen. And we need to make ourselves well-rounded in our activities. So when people come to Capoeira, you're going to have people who have a dance background, who have a yoga background, who have a other martial arts background, and helping them to understand the context of Capoeira and how their experience is really valuable but then there are other areas that they're going to need to work on and having the, the ability to recognize and to encourage and to, uh, to give props to people for the things that they do well and then to humbly find ways uh, and cautiously find ways to encourage the continued effort and growth in areas that there are weaknesses. The beautiful thing about our group and our community is that there's a ton of students who've all been there before. And so because there's a less um, martially competitive element in Capoeira, people in the class want there to be more people. It's not usually, you know, I've, I've been to other martial art classes or other kickboxing classes and done drop-in things in the BJJ classes where people People are just like, oh, my objective is to win, and it's me against you, and it's me against everyone else in the class. And I've got to win. 
capoeira and again it's, it's just another thing when you're working in competitive arts where there's competitions where it's one person on one person you can sometimes get that mindset where i i need to be the victor and it's me against everybody else and capoeira because you have music because you need two people playing in the middle because you need a circle of people singing and clapping because you're looking for that energy and that joy in the music it's so much better when there's more people in class when there's more people enjoying it there's more people in the harder like i said the bus is out of the day when you've got people that have come from all over the place and you've got 70 80 100 people in a circle singing and clapping and jumping around it's palpable i hope you're right feeling the the goosebumps yeah i mean and so that's, when, the thing, yeah. that's the thing like i say like when i was there it's the goosebumps i felt it, i've never there's not many places i felt that like just the, the the instruments the singing the 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 whole space you had was like buzzing it was I, I had never been exposed to it i've seen capoeira before but to actually be there and feel it and uh, you know like we we are designed to be wanting to be around each other we're designed people are designed to want to you know just be a be a tribe you know i think people when they come together and they have a common goal and in this case, would be just the capoeira, like the movements. People are people see the work that the other puts in. You can't help but respect people. I think, and I think that's why it's so important to have in that in uh, in society. And right now, it's it's kind of being uh, suppressed a little bit. How do you feel like uh, your students and and martial martial artists in, in general? But how how are your students dealing? Uh, well, how do you see them dealing with the current situation? Dealing with the current situation, like you just said, right? Community and unity is such an inherent human need. And we don't realize until it's taken away, right? You don't know what you got till it's gone. When the lockdown started March 16, I jumped into action and had my first online class on the day of the lockdown. Step I wasn't. I wasn't going to stop. I wasn't going to have anything mad props to my wife because she was like, we can do this. And I was like, mm, technology. She's like, no, 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 we got this. And we got everything set up. I had a Zoom account. I had my laptop. I had my cameras. I was ready to go. And students came online. It was a big class. Uh, it's challenging because Capoeira is such an interpersonal thing. And any martial art requires uh, not only proactive training, but reactive training. 100%. Yeah. If we're losing that reactive element, that could be one of the reasons why people are like, screw it, I'm not going to bother. Then with Capoeira, there's a space concern. A hada is 12 foot wide as a circle, minimum. Actually, to be honest, sometimes we really bring it in to see how people handle it. But you're looking at a 12 foot space. Not a lot of people have 12 foot circular spaces in their home. To practice the training. Not a lot of people have a six foot space that's circular at home to practice the training. So having that as another uh, roadblock to people's success and for people's uh, consistency was another challenge. So we've we've worked really hard and, and we've created a database of movements and we've videotaped and recorded a whole bunch of classes and, and Again, like adapting to the situation. Copwood is a, an art form that was created by uh, the enslaved African people. 
they had a situation where they were moved to the other side of the planet. And even if they escaped and freed themselves from the oppressive slavery, they weren't going to be able to swim across the Atlantic and get back to Africa. So they had to find a way to deal with what they had and make the most of it. So there are things called quilombos that were villages in the jungles of Brazil that were 10, 11, 12,000 people, large villages of African people who had freed themselves or had been freed by other people from the village. They made the most of what they had. They found a way to deal with it and they found a way to keep moving forward. There was no point in sitting there and being like, boo hoo, what can I do? Survival is really important. Community was really important. And so people from these villages, if you got freed, then guaranteed you were on the next um, journey out to help new people be freed and come back and create more community and build that community. So even before, when I say, like having people in class is valuable. And if a new person comes to class and they're tentative and they have their issues and concerns, there's 10 other people who are like, I got you, I've been there. Let me help you. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Let's go, let's do it together. Which is great because then they don't have, if, if they are a little bit tentative, then they don't have the professor breathing down their neck, the whole class going, do this, do this, do this. They feel that there's a, a room of encouragement and a room of community. So that integrated union is another thing that they're, they're lacking right now. But I still have a good solid crew of people who are just like, I got you. I know that your academy is costing money. I know that things are running, but I'm here. We're still training. We're still working. If the weather's good enough and we can train outdoors, we train outdoors. Uh, I've actually been humbled and floored by how much um, – dedication, commitment, and consistency there has been from the student base. Uh, and I hope that it's in part response to the dedication, commitment, and consistency that I've given to them. Like I said, Mr. Cicatriz had said to me, he's like, I know you love the art. I know you, you have this passion. I want to help you, and I want you to do classes. That previous Taekwondo um, teacher who was like you know what i'm gonna go and every class she would like write up some kind of philosophical statement that she learned at university and she was like at the end of class before doing the you know the five tenets of tkd she would be like what does that mean let's talk about that and you were getting life lessons you were getting motivated and you were being cultivated in those classes and so for me it's really valuable to pay that forward and i feel like the one thing that is, is helping me to stay sane and stay motivated is seeing how those students that I've been giving so much to are there to give back and there to stay with us and there to keep committed to the future and to the art form. I think that's, uh, I think that's a very powerful, let me, uh, can we get you a, there we go. It's gone. I think that's a very powerful um, um, statement because, you know, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, why is it that, you know, too bad society was not based like that, that that, that wasn't the kind of the, the culture that we wanted to, to have for everybody because um, being isolated and being uh, divided, it does nobody any service. And uh, at the end of the day, you could be a complete stranger, but if you meet somebody else while you're doing something like that, you're mutually interested in, 
you know, there's always a relationship built because there's a common ground. And I think martial arts is just a medium, a way of, of us learning these important traits. Saying that, how important do you think it is for children to train martial arts and learn these valuable traits? Common ground is a, is a valuable thing. It's an important thing. And then you also have, you have that, the common struggle. You know, when you come to class and you're working hard with one of your partners and it's hard and then the work and it's work and it's work and at the end of the class you're like, man, we did that. That was tough. That common struggle is definitely a way to, to reinforce those connections and then other things you do outside of class too. Um, as far as kids doing martial arts, I don't care what martial art it is. Kids need to be moving, they need to be using their body, and ultimately you would hope that they're doing these kind of things in a place where the teacher is dedicated to their growth as a human being as much as it is um, their growth within the art. You know, there's a lot of uh, places where you can go that have great business sense. And, you know, they're like, let's get all the kids in and everybody pays this amount of much and we're going to teach you so much. But we're really not invested. What we're invested in is the return on our investment. And that's not what kids need. And that's not what I got. And like I say, I came from a, a family where there was a lot of issues and a lot of problems that broke our whole family up from when I was 10 to like 12 years old. And finding that martial arts school and having people encourage me and having people motivate me. Um, and then meeting the Taekwondo instructor who was that philosophy teacher and, and she continued to, to grow and she continued to motivate and give me things to think about and help me in ways where no one else would. And meeting Sigatrius and having the same kind of thing happen and him recognize my work and my commitment. Martial arts have been the one thing that have kept me from some really self-destructive, potentially uh, deadly situations in my life. Uh, I, I got kicked out of school uh, at the end of year 12 and my mom was like, she sent me away. She's like, you have to go and live in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere with, uh, with these people that are relatives, cousins that had like 40,000 acres of sheep farm and stuff. Uh, and I spent a couple of months there when I was like 17 because people didn't know how to handle me and people, and I didn't know how to handle myself. But I, again, I came back and I kept going back to those martial art classes and having that mentor and having that sense of self was a really important driving force. Getting out of the Navy, I had a few more rough years, but then meeting Sigatrius put me back on that path, put me back in the direction of self-improvement and self-empowerment and self-realization. And I think that the younger kids can be exposed to people who are willing to give that kind of attention and that kind of um, drive to help a young person grow within themselves and perspectives that their parents are probably trying to reinforce. But you know, you've got kids. You could tell your kid something and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then the bus driver, when you get on a bus, tells them exactly the same thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's true. And you're like, hang on a minute. I'm just trying to tell you the same thing. Uh, Sometimes they need to hear it from an exterior force, right? 
I guess I'm lucky. My kids still listen to me at this point. <laughs> There'll be a time. In a couple of years, not so much. But when you were younger, when you were starting to Capoeira, did you ever have, you know, as you start to progress, did you ever reach a plateau? Or did you ever have a time that, you know, things just seemed so difficult, like you weren't going to get to the next level? Did you ever feel like you wanted to quit? And if you did, how did you how did you prevent yourself uh, from not from continuing? Plateaus are going to happen in any art, in any uh, academic pursuit, in, in no matter what. The the nature of growth and the nature of learning is that the arc is going to be up and then down, and then up and then down, and then up and then off, and then up and then down, up and then off. And it's always going to happen like that. Um, in Capoeira specifically, because there are so many elements, the acrobatic side, the musical side, the martial side, the cultural and historical side, the language, there's a lot of stuff to take in. And so you might find you hit plateaus in each individual areas. You might find you hit plateaus in all of them. I remember when I was, when I was boxing, the great thing that I, that I can appreciate now is that you have six or eight punches, you have some basic footwork, and you have head movement, shoulder movement, and a bunch of defensive hand positions. So the grand scheme of, of, of boxing as a sport, you've got maybe 40 different things that are your fundamentals to work on. And if you work on those, within two years, you're going to see a growth and you're going to be like, man, three times a week for a couple of hours. Like I, I really feel like I can, I can, I can box well and I have good movement. You've still got ways to go, but you've picked up a level of proficiency that, that will, that's notable. Capoeira, because three times, two hours a week, you're not just looking at martial, not just looking at movement, not just looking at acrobatics, not just looking at, at music and history and culture. It takes a lot longer to become notably proficient. And so that's a challenge in Capoeira. It's, it's not as easy because there's so much to absorb. And so your plateaus might come more often. Uh, and sometimes we hit plateaus because of our consistency in our training. You know, they say in the first three to seven years of turn, of, of, for one to seven years of learning anything, you should really commit a lot of time to that. You're going to build your foundation. You're going to build your habits. Then if you have to drop off because of whatever happens in your life, um, you're going to have a solid foundation. And even if your progressive arc isn't as high as the person next to you in class, then sometimes we need to think, okay, well, that's fine. This person is still doing three times a week, um, but I'm married and I have kids and I have this job and I have these other responsibilities and I can only get in twice a week for an hour. So I'm not going to shoot for the stars with the same trajectory of the person beside me. So, uh, and the first thing to do with um, dealing with the concept of plateaus, I think, is not judge yourself against other people. Mm. You have your own circumstances and you are the sum of your own experiences. If you really put your time into your foundation and you love what you do, the plateau can be frustrating, but as long as you find the joy in every class, as long as you come away going, that was fun, then the rest of the things in that plateau could just be all in your own head. It could just be like, oh, I could have done it. Because how many times have you been in a sparring situation 
or you've been in a combative situation where afterwards you're like, I should have done this when they did this, and this happened, and I should have done that, I should have done that. Hindsight is the best combative by artist. But yep. you're in the moment, and you're in the moment. So if your reflex isn't as good as it, it as you'd like it to be, then ask yourself, is it because of consistency? Is it because of, you know, these other external factors that slow down that arc of progression? Or is it just because I'm not putting enough time into focusing on the real nuances of the technique and I'm not finding ways to flow with this to the next? There are so many factors, but if you can, if you can find the joy in what you're doing in every class and you know that this is your space and your time and this is what makes you feel whole, then the only problem you're going to have with your plateauing is when you start judging yourself against somebody else. For somebody who does, for a capoeirista, for a capoeirista, just like any art, how important is shadow boxing and putting on music and just moving by yourself as a regular training regimen? How important is that for a capoeirista, especially now with not always having, like you say, having the partner or the interaction or negotiation of space with regards to the space you have to move in? Would you recommend that people spend who are, you know, who train capoeira? to spend a lot of time and express himself that way and just move and, and train. And I guess it would be like shadow boxing for you guys, but um, how important do you think that is for someone's maintenance uh, during these times? It's everything. Um, I have this system that I believe is really valuable for learning skill like for skill acquisition and skill application. And so, no matter what the technique is, there's a clear set of phases that are going to happen in the journey from skill acquisition to skill application or comfortable application of a skill. You need to learn what a movement is. You need to break it down. You need to have it force-fed to you like you're a child. This is here, this is here, this is here. Then you're going to start to experiment with how to make it work. And so what I talk about is I talk about... Uh, the level of chaos because when you're first learning a, a technique you can't have any level of chaos you can't have anything that's going to elicit uh, a reactive response because you've been trying to teach yourself a new reactive response then you need to work at a level where your body can reprogram mm. so with learning capoeira movements as i said before uh we have a bunch of base foundational fundamental movements for just moving around when we play capoeira for the movements between the moments and then we have moments so if i'm learning to uh improve and imply uh, apply a moment i need to have a completely step-by-step -step, this is completely choreographed version of how to do it and then i need to be able to find the moment where i can apply it in a still very controlled circumstance and then i need to find a moment where the chaos levels change i don't want to sort of go too deeply into it without my little notebook here <laughs> but, but the concept of, of shadow boxing is really important because i said before a, a capoeira needs to learn to navigate themselves within the space before you then learn to negotiate for the space oh, so whether so you're Right, it's navigation and negotiation. Because if you're shadow boxing in the ring, every choice you make is a victorious one. Every choice you make is correct. 
I've never seen anybody shadow box and lose. Right? So when you're in there and you're popping and you throw your little hook and then you weave under and you come back with the uppercut, everything you do is always correct. And that's a great because you need to build that muscle memory and you need to create those moments in your mind and you need to have the ability so that every choice you make is correct. And then when you start sharing that space in the ring and there's another person, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go here when you go there. And when you feign to the left, I'm going to start looking for that hook. And when you slip to the right, I'm going to start looking for that overhand. And then you're like, oh, shoot. Now what? So then it becomes a negotiation for space. I think that's a really valuable Negotiate, that's your shadow boxing. If my students aren't practicing, and I used to say to them all the time, like when I worked as a, as a trainer in Australia, sometimes I was really upset when somebody canceled. Other times I was like, sweet. And I would take my backpack to the park across the street and I would lay my backpack down in the middle of uh, the, the grass and I would just practice my capoeira movements, moving around that piece in the middle, having that focal point. So I knew that I always could track where my opponent might be but I can put the movements together in a way where I can find them, I can feel them, and then I can maybe find ways to apply them. And I might start thinking about, well, I'm going to try to create a moment with my movements. So that's where we start thinking about the, the win or the loss moment, right? Actually, and that's a drill. I'm sorry, that's a drill I actually took away from you. Um, so a few classes, when I come to your classes, the first thing I do is when I get into my car, I voice record um, whatever the movement was or the set template was so that when I get home, I could practice them. And one of the things I, lo I, I found helping, like you say, having your backpack there and just having always looking where you do this in class uh, with a great, great uh, use of the cones. But I actually uh, practice on my double ended bag. And uh, another thing I took away from you as well, or from Capoeira as well, is even if I'm not training capoeira and I'm like uh, shadow boxing on the bag, I always do it to music now. Uh, no, and I just do it to like uh, hip hop instrumentals or whatever it is I'm feeling for. But I try to match the cadence of the music. And it's uh, it's pretty cool because if music is fast, I'm working hard. If it's slow, I'm, I'm working slower when I'm, I'm a little bit more working my footwork, if that's the case. And I try to land my punches on the bass, on the, on the beat. So that I'm, and then what I do is I'll do rounds where I'm doing it on the beat, and then okay, next round I'm gonna break rhythm. I want to hit in between the beats. Mm. So, so I really, you know, just by being in your class, even though I'm not training cap, but I, I I like to try and extract. That's that's the JKD in me. I like to try to extract methodology and apply it for myself. And I found at Capoeira, it also because of the music, you really learn rhythm and the rhythm of a fight. And how to break the rhythm, I think, is like, I guess, like that intermediate level. But at the beginner level, it, it just makes everything seem alive. Would you say that that, um, that would be a correct assessment? Absolutely, I would. Um, yeah, having the rhythm and, and the music such a, an important and integral part of Capoeira. You, you, you don't feel the same when you're playing without it. And like I say, sometimes you want to match the cadence and sometimes... You want to shift off and, and create that bulk or that fake or that moment where something comes out of time. It's super valuable. Um, I think another thing that's underappreciated for capoeira is the adrenal 
component. Right? One of the things about like when you you watch Thai in Thailand, Thai boxing, and the music is on and the crowd is there and everything is happening and it's all on you. Mm. And then you like, again, the music helps you to get that transient state, but you're going to get an adrenal dump. And the way that the Thai guys spar and the number of fights they have and the number of, you know, uh, touch time or exposure they have to that level of adrenaline, the more comfortably they can process the adrenal dump, right? How many times have you been in a situation combatively or, or whatever where people go, oh, it felt like time had slowed down. Yeah. I found a peace, a pace, and a rhythm. So when you're playing Capoeira, 99.9% of the time, there's two people in the middle facing off against each other. Somewhere between 10 and 50 or 100 people in the circle and everybody's watching what you're doing. And there are some of your students and some of your friends and some of their students and some of their friends. It's literally like being in a, in a, in a school fight, right? Everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's two people in there. Now the intention isn't always damage, but the potential for knockouts and serious uh, damage from your opponent is high. So you have to be on guard and you have to be present. One of the things about Capoeira is that it was really, it was really created as a, as a means to be present and to separate oneself from whatever else you're dealing with. But then in, in a modern context, being that present and being in that situation where there's loud music and there's people clapping and cheering and everybody's judging you and you're trying to perform your skills to your best ability and trying to apply your strategy, the more comfortable you get, the more exposure and touch times you get to that and that adrenaline, the more relaxed you are and the more easy it is for you to listen, see, and, and to be reactive efficiently. So sometimes we say like, you know, when you see a master play, you're like, he doesn't even look like he's paying attention. He just looks too relaxed and he's not really trying, but then everywhere you want to be, he is. And every time you go to make a movement, he's like ready to pounce. And sometimes he won't, sometimes he will. But you're like, he didn't even break a sweat. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's that adrenal acclimation that, that you definitely get in Capoeira. That's a special thing to watch. I've watched this, I've, I've witnessed that, I think maybe five times with five different instructors in my life where they're just at such a level that it's it's a game. Like they do it as simple as, you know, making themselves a cup of coffee and it's it's just natural to them they're just they're just playing and and to see that level is just the in the most and the funny thing is the people that have reached that level they don't even realize they're on that level because you know they just it's it's just it's second nature to them and um those people are are usually the ones that are the you know the ones that are just for example like guru dan uh francis fong these are two people. Actually, that's, yeah, it's him right there. Those are two people I've witnessed that I would literally call, like, I could say, yes, these guys mastered the art. And um, and when people play like that, those are the people that just kind of make you stand. Oh, because how it's like, how much time did this person really spend doing this? Because you could tell it's, it's just, you, you can't fathom it, you know? And, and that kind of dedication, that, 
that's very inspiring in, in anything that anybody does to be so good at whether being a piano player, a martial artist, a singer, when you see somebody who truly masters something, um, it's just a beautiful thing to watch. And for me, I think like there's like three main levels in martial arts, you know, uh, there's like, there's the, there's the time where you learn and you're new and you're discovering and, and it's like, you know, you're fumbling about it and that, that can take many, many years. And then there's the period in time where now you're proficient in the martial art, but you're still finding who you are, what you're going to do with this art. So that would be like, you know, uh, you know, the first period is you just learn. The second period is like you're you can compete or you can start to teach, and you're in your prime. You know, you're 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 able to be liberated enough to like experiment now with your fight IQ because all the movements are there for at your disposal. You've you put in your time enough to do it. And then there's a the last part where I think it's like the one we all aspire to, where that's where you you know and do your art so well that you can create somebody else who can pass on that torch. That's what I would call a meshed, you know, somebody who is, they've lived it so much, so long, and now it's not even about them anymore. It's about giving it to the next one and not just creating, you know, somebody who's, who can, who can do movements, but creating somebody who also loves it as much as them. I can pass that on. You know what I mean? And I think that's something people who've been training in martial arts for at least 12 years, Maybe you can start to appreciate. And you've been training yourself, yourself you said it for what? Over 20 years. Capoeira, right? And so where do you feel you are now? What is your now, what is your new, what is your goals now? Because, you know, goals change as you train because you develop and you become something more. And then you have to shed your skin and become something more. Where are you? What's your new objective in your Capoeira journey? Where am I? Again, I'm still in the journey. Uh, yeah, that's why I was saying like before, like with those levels and, and steps of progression, it's it's that first three to seven years or five or four, one to seven years where you really want to put so much time in to build that foundation. I always say like the belt system in Capoeira is reflective of the life's journey. So, and I mentioned that before with the levels of, of learning and technique, you need to start with zero chaos. Everything is spoon fed, it's, it's step by step. Yeah. When that beginner comes into class, they need everything with steps here and then here and here. And it takes some time before they learn to crawl a little bit. And as they move through the belt systems, then they start to learn to walk. And then by the time you get to that black belt level, right? And how many times have you heard the concept of, well, the black belt level is where you, you, you finish learning and now your journey starts or yeah. where your real learning starts, Yeah. right? Well, so, so by the time you reach what we would consider the graduado level, which is, uh, for us is a blue cord, but it's that level of black belt, that's when you're at that like adolescent stage. You've gone from being that spoon-fed baby to the toddler and uh, to the the questioning, super curious young child who they're more self-sufficient, they can take themselves to the bathroom, you're not wiping their bum anymore. And and then they get to that teenage year around that black belt level. And they're like, oh yeah, I can look after myself. I'm pretty good now. And they go out into the world, right? And then they say, well, I'm a martial artist, I'm gonna do these things. And 
they, they have their experiences and sometimes they're victorious and sometimes they're not. And then they come back home and they're like, mom, I had this problem. These things happened to me. And so you're still guiding them, but they have their own experiences, right? And then you're going to get to a point in your life's journey where maybe you start a relationship and you have children of your own. And then you want to guide those children away from some of the issues that you had encountered, but also at the same time appreciating that some of that struggle is where the strength comes. Ah, yes. That's so you, you continue to, to teach and, and spoon feed and raise your own children to the point where you hope they eventually start to raise their own children. You can be the grandpa and you can just step back and then you get to spoil everybody with your presence and with your work and with everything. Uh -huh. And that's, that's how I see my mystery now, right? For my students, uh, I have students that achieve the blue quarter. They're in their teenage years, but I'm still dad. And when the mystery walks in to visit from Brazil, everyone's like, grandpa, oh my God. And he gets all the love and I get left behind. But there will come to a time where I will have students that will want to grow to a point where they'll go and start teaching themselves. Mystery Secretaries was such an integral part in my transformation and choices to teach. I had no intention of teaching Capoeira. I just wanted to train. But there came a time where when I started training with him, he had to go to Brazil for a month. And he's like, my mom's really sick. I'm going to go visit my mom. Can you cover these two classes? And I'm like, that's not my thing. I've been training like I was like five or six years into training and I'm like, no, that's not my thing. And he's like, look, I really need someone. He's like, I know you have all these other skills. And then he's like, when you come to my class, I see how hard you work and I see that you get it. Just cover them for a month. When I get back, everything will be fine. I was like, okay, that works. So he was that father who was like pushing that little bird out of the nest. He's like, come on, go. You can fly. But I felt like I wasn't ready. And you get that with different teachers, right? You either get that person who reaches a level and they're like, absolutely, I've been here already. Or you get those people who get that new level and get that new responsibility and they're like, whoa, are you sure? Is this, this, this is what you want me to do? Am I here? I didn't see it in myself, but he saw it. And he was like, you know what? Teach this class. Just do these two classes, Tuesday and Thursday. When I get back from Brazil, that's all. That's it. That's it. And I was like, okay, no worries. Because there was a long period of time where I couldn't afford to pay for classes. And he was like, just keep coming, just keep coming. So this was my chance to pay it back, to pay it forward. Yeah. And I did that. He ended up being gone for like two and a half months. Once you go back to Brazil, time just seems to run a little slow. <laughs> right? So when he finally comes back, I picked him up and I was like, we're going to go to class, you're going to teach. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm tired. I just got off the plane and I haven't had much sleep. He's like, I want you to teach. And I'm going to just sit and watch and I'm going to talk to you about it afterwards. And I was like, okay, great. That's what I need. More pressure. So I taught the class and, and did what I could and, and gave the information that I thought was, you know, true to his teachings, true to his philosophy. Um, but tried to give it my own little, like, level of fun and level of, of, of personality. And afterwards he was like, wow, was like, you did a really good job. That was great. And he said to me, how would you like to keep teaching? I was like, no, no, no. I want to train, train. And he's like, look, at that time I had a job that finished at like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He's like, when you finish work, drive to my house. We'll train in the afternoons on those days. 
And when we're finished training, we'll go, you can teach the class and I'll hang out and watch or I'll stay at home, whatever my day's feeling like. And I was like, oh. well, okay, I still get to train. When I went, he started teaching me more than just the movements in the class. He taught me more history, more culture, more art, more music, more other things that are important for Capoeira. Because he's like, if you're going to teach and you're a gringo white guy teaching Capoeira to other people, then you're going to have to really prove that you know and you're passionate about the art that you're teaching. Otherwise, you're just going to look like a folk. So I just continued to absorb. But it was his faith in me that really, that really got me to that next level. And yeah, I was going to ask you in your in your all the years of your training, how much of that settled in your mind in the background, like when you went to Brazil or when you went to other places, did you feel like you were ever targeted or feel like you had to really prove yourself because you were that gringo doing uh, doing this art? I'm still struggling with that, buddy. but you know what? I accept it, and uh, and uh, I've more than once proved people that I absolutely I bring, deserve to be here. I bring it up because that that just I think that's a layer that people that can get overlooked. That takes a lot. That takes a lot of courage, perseverance, and passion for the art. I mean, like, really, that that is something that I think that's a trait that a lot of people could learn from. Because to do something when you're expected not to be as good because you're not of a skin color or a race or a culture and having to prove it with your work ethic, I think that's something that needs to be, um, you know, given affirmation to like, you know, that's a congratulations to you because not only have you been successful and created a great culture and be um, very good in your, in your skill level and also as an instructor, that you do it having to deal with, with that. And I think that's something that gets overlooked. I, I straight up give you respect for that. But what can you, what can you like, what advice can you give to somebody who's following your footsteps that might have to deal with that? Thank you. Uh, that means a lot. So if you love what you do, you keep doing a new work and you try to get better. Uh, I've, I've been tested and, and second you know second had that second look and a double take and be like hey, the what mm -hmm. and i've even i've even been in events where um other brazilian people are like looking at me like who no and one of the things with capoeira is is that more highly skilled people will say i only need to see you jinga for the first five seconds of a game to know whether or not you're legit and so I think that's fairly prominent and people can see that straight away. But like uh, in Capoeira has taken me and I've, I've taught and trained in, in Singapore, in Hawaii, in Brazil, in Australia, uh, in the US and here in Canada. And I've taken teams of students to Brazil three times, twice now. Uh, I've been to Brazil a number of times myself. And every time you go and you meet a new bunch of people, they're like, hmm, who's this guy? But it doesn't take long anymore. I still get it because I look like this and I'm okay with that. Um, but but it, like here in Toronto, when I first came to Toronto and I wanted to start teaching classes and running classes, I had to go to every other school in town and visit and play and, and introduce myself. And at every single encounter, people were like, who's this? 
white Australian guy trying to teach a couple later in Canada. I mean, but that, I, I mean have, sorry, I have I, earned, yeah, I've earned the respect of everybody in the Kapoor community here in Toronto. Oh, hundred percent. You have. I could. You know. I. I <laughs> I'll tell you right now. The first time I come to check it out, I was like, "What? There's a Capoeira school around here?" And I remember I come in. I wasn't expecting uh, the, uh, someone with an Australian accent. And then when I started hearing you bust out the Brazilian and singing, and it, I was like, "Oh, this is this is fucking cool, man!" Because first thing I recognized is, you know, this guy chose an art, found an art he loved, but he really immersed himself in it, like. Like I, I've been training Kali for a while, uh, years now, but only in the last year and a half that I actually like making an effort to consciously remember terminology and shit like that because it's because of guys like you, right? Because like, yes, I'm doing the art. I know how to do the movement. You know, somebody, hey, do this move and they'll say the name and I, I don't know, I don't understand. I don't know what you're asking me to do. Oh, it's this. Oh, I know this. But the, you know, when you, when you have somebody like that doing that, it's like, man, I'm doing this art of disrespect. I need to actually learn the terminology and the language so i thought that was pretty cool and how long did it take you to speak the language because that's another that's a hard thing to do as well a lot of people try to pick up a new language nowadays that's not very easy i don't give a shit what rosetta, rosetta stone says or that's not that's not an easy thing to do how long did it take you to learn the language so as far as language is concerned i still don't think i speak portuguese well enough well you know, but I've, I've had brazilian Oh, Brazilian Portuguese. That's clear. Okay. No, it is Portuguese, but the accent is is a very very different. Like if if I, if I hear a Brazilian person speak quickly, like fast, especially depending on where they're from, they'll lose me. It's 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 a different uh, it's a different pronunciation, but yes, it is Portuguese based. But it, it but that's why sometimes I still like what is he trying to say? But anyway, you speak it well because I I know Brazilian people and you speak it really well. Yeah, well, that, even in Brazil, the accents and the way the certain uh, letters and consonants blend are pronounced is very different from the north and the south and the east and the west. And my master's from Rio, so I do my best to use his Carioca accent. And then I get other people who are from the north and they're like, what's he trying to say? <laughs> Plus you've got colloquialisms. Uh, but I, can, I, can, I, I have been to Brazil on my own and tra traveled on my own and not spoken English for a month and only spoken Portuguese and I have conversations and I can I can get myself around and I can get what I want and I can not get stabbed so for me I feel like that's a sufficient amount of Portuguese but you have you have serious conversations with people and then they start speaking at a million miles an hour and I'm like oh no I really don't know slow down slow down yeah <laughs> I hear you so but, uh, it's, it's an important thing. How I learned it is interesting, right? Because a couple of music. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Because a couple of music's done in Portuguese, you have to learn to sing in Portuguese from a young, early age in, in your couple of life. And sometimes there are easy songs like La La A, La La A, and other times there's more depth and context to the story. Now, if you're going to be leading a song and singing a song in Capoeira, then it's going to be more efficient and effective if you know what the hell you're singing about so if you're singing a deeper song that has a deeper meaning in a portuguese language and you have no idea what the context of that song is how the heck are you supposed to emote you can't feel it so what i used to do is i would take the brazilian version of the song on one side of a, 
uh, sheet on Microsoft Word and then put the English translation on the other side and I would print that out. Smart. And then I had sh uh, a shower screen because you take a shower every day, you're going to be in there for at least five minutes. So the shower screen was clear and I would place it, boom, on the inside, on the outside of the shower screen facing in. Just cool. And then while I'm there for five minutes, I'm going to sing the song and practice the song and then I'm looking at the translation. And so just over time, there's the vocabulary repeats itself from song to song and then you go, oh, that means that, that means that, that means that. And then trying to speak with people in Portuguese, that becomes a real... Um, a real signal to the, that person that you're trying to speak to personality. Because if I try to speak to you in Portuguese and I'm not very good and you're like, hmm, English, right? How many people, you know, they say they think they spoke French in Canada and then they went to France and they spoke French and everyone just goes straight to English. They're like, no, 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 that's not French. You're ruining our language. <laughs> so, so, so you'll have people. And sometimes I try to speak Portuguese to other high rank people and I'm like, hey, Blah, 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 blah. And they'll be like, hmm, okay. And they change their level and their pitch so that we can engage because they want to encourage that growth. Yeah. And then I'll try to speak Portuguese with someone else and they'll be like, mm hmm. And they'll just duck straight back to English and won't even waste their time. Yeah. <laughs> but that tells me about you. So I'm like, yeah. okay, back to English it is. And in time, eventually it all comes up. I did spend a bit of time on Duolingo, but it's really experience and exposure that I've taught it. To the level that it's at now that's very cool what was it like doing your first hoda on brazil in brazil sorry what was that what did that feeling feel like it was insane i um hadn't been there very long the first couple of days it was brazil a whole bunch of us went to copacabana beach and we hired like a a beachfront hotel room or like a, an apartment and we spent three days like partying and hanging out and I was like yeah I'm in Brazil I'm in Copacabana and then we went to uh, to visit the other you know our affiliated group there and we did a class and we did a workshop and then there was time for the huddle and you sit around and you're like oh my god it's happening this is really happening I'm in the motherland and it's all happening um, and so you get pulled into the harder and now you're like, it's funny. I had a similar incident in Indonesia when the headmaster of our school and another master were visiting, but I basically did the same thing again in Brazil. You're in Brazil, you're in this event and you're like, oh my God, it's happening. And I start to play and your game might last a minute. But in that one minute, I was trying to show everybody in the whole circle, all of my all of my skills at once, everything I know in 60 seconds. So when you're going to enforce your will and a couple is a conversation and you're going to just speak, 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 not only do you miss the relevant moments and important moments in the conversation, but your reactions are all off the hook because every time you go to do something, you get caught. It was not, not pretty. But the one thing, the one, there's a moment in, 2015 when the year I was supposed to get or the year I got professor and we were at a workshop and the master who was teaching the workshop had asked a question um, to the group that was a very specific cultural and historical question to Capoeira and all of the other uh, Brazilian teachers and 
some of the other Brazilian masters tried to answer it and none of them were correct. And I had done an extensive amount of research on that topic, but I wasn't going to be jumping up going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I just sat back and I was going, oh, everyone. Right? And then it got to the point where basically everyone had asked and the master was like, nope, no. And I had like quiet and was like standing in the back. I was like, I think I have an idea. And so in Portuguese, I had to give my response. And I said, I was like, I don't know that this is the answer, but in my research, because I found this topic interesting, this is what I had found. And I gave my answer and he's like, 100%. And his wife had looked and was sitting next to the master, our master, secretaries. And she's like, who is this guy? And he's like, oh, that's my sketch. I'm giving the professor this gift. She's like, I like it. Turned out this woman sings like an angel. So the harder had started afterwards. And the bidding balls were starting to play and they're in. The music was starting to build and the vibe was starting to hit. And then I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. She started to sing. And she's looking at me and she's looking around the rest of the harder and she gives me this like, I like you, guy, you, you're doing some good work here. And her singing and the energy and the moment was so powerful and so palpable. I just started to weep. And I couldn't help it. And I'm looking at my students and I'm like, look at this. And they're like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, nothing. Best day ever. But I just couldn't help it. And tears and tears. And eventually she stopped singing and passed the instrument off. And she like indicated to me, she's like, I want to play a game with you. And she called me in and we had a really good exchange. I think it's somewhere on my, on my YouTube. Um, but it was just fun. And it was, it, it felt so powerful to be acknowledged by someone I'd never met before on the day. And they were like, not only is this person passionate, they're intelligent. Uh, and she could see me weeping. So she's like, well, clearly, you know, um, and that was the profoundly most powerful moment I've ever had in Brazil. That's, that's awesome. Hold on. I'm getting some feedback. That's, um, that's powerful. You know, I, those moments where you feel that, um, that joy or that wholeness and you, and it brings you to tears. Those are, those are, um, very few. I've had a couple of those in my life and I've come to believe that those are the moments in my life that I will look back and say, I, I was consciously aware that I was, I was at the right place. I knew I was where I was supposed to be at that time in my life. And it's, it's a powerful moment. And, um, that that's important to share. And then all it took was somebody to just recognize your work, recognize your passion and accept you. That's like being accepted into a family, right? That's the kind of moment you feel like you're, yes, you're, you're with us. And, um, a lot of people need that feeling. I think a lot of people need that feeling. I think a lot of people, a lot of people are going through life trying to find their purpose or acceptance. And some people don't get to experience that, but, I think if people were more accepting and, and looked at the work that goes into something as opposed to, and you know, and this brings me to why I like doing this, this stuff, because I'm not asking you, you know, you know, how many fights you won or this and that. I don't give a shit about any of that. It's what did it take to get to where you are? 
you know everybody posts the finished product on facebook and i did this and that and i lifted this i'm more interested in knowing about the failures that took to get you there because you know that's where the champions are the champions are the one that won the title the champions are the ones that lost for fucking years before they got a moment of a, of a win right i think that's what martial arts is really about because like i said there's that period in time where you're just learning shit. uh you don't know what the fuck you're doing you just know you like it and then there's oh shit, i'm i'm i can do stuff now and then there's like where you realize it's bigger than you and it's like this thing that that gives people um opportunity in life and uh liberation and and allows them to communicate with people at any level i think that's another i, I know i mentioned it before but i think that's why you know racism and politics and religion kind of loses its fucking luster when you go into a gym and you sweat and you bleed with somebody and you work towards something and, and i think that's you know that's something that right now especially nowadays the way things are so fucked up um i think that's what people need more is that that interaction and that um character building and uh and uh learning how to deal with adversity I think that's why martial arts is so important. Um, it's more than just it's more than just technical skill. You know, that's that's something we aim to achieve when we're young in it, but that shit seems to not matter once you've gained it because you you realize what it what it actually gives you. What are your future plans for when you become an age where, you know, uh, because that's the problem. That's the beauty. We work so hard to attain a level only to have it for a few years and then we watch it slip away and uh, i think that's why they always tell you that you know the smart ones always tell you stay humble because it's less of a shock i think later on in life mm. where, do you, where do you see yourself in like your golden years in capoeira as a capoeirista it's a tough thing yeah i mean i'm uh, i'm 46 this year Right, so the body's starting to slow down. And the you still injuries move good, man. To you still move good. You still move good. <laughs> man, I'm trying. Uh, I've spent a lot of the last two weeks doing a lot of injury rehab. I have a, like a high hamstring a tendinosis. So I'm like rebalancing some things and re-strengthening them. For those, um, for those listening to this, sorry, I'm going to cut you, Professor. But for those listening to this, I went to a class one time. And this guy's fucking doing like back like flips and kicks and shit like that. And then he's like, oh, fuck, man, my hernia is killing me. And he's fixing this, like, thing he has. Do you remember that? At the old place yeah. with the gray walls? This guy's got, yeah, like, yeah. a thing pushing in his – and this guy's just still doing his thing. I was like, man, you know, that you, you can't stop somebody from doing what they love. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. I had, I had to interrupt. No, I agree. I agree. It was tough. Um, yeah, it's so – it's the worst. Like, I've, I've – my online classes the last three, four days have been me sitting here and having students demonstrate and going, yeah, but all I want to do is get up and get up. And I'm like, well, gotta let this recover. Um, where do I want to see it? It's such a, an important question. You know, I want to see the growth in the people. One of the things that I love the most is, is the little kids in my class, like my kids' class. And it breaks my heart that I haven't had them in the academy for a year and I look forward to seeing how big they get um, what they've got. But I like I taught my kids class and a bunch of like uh, five to nine year old kids today and 
their dedication and their their work and again like they're struggling with things and i'm trying to like find philosophical references or capoeira song references that that will help them to assess the situation they're in and and find a more positive perspective and then to continue to move forward and like i say i have students now where they're getting towards i have uh, all the belts on the wall um they're getting towards a level where oh what happened what happened I just there? Yeah, yeah. That's this is why I don't do it live. <laughs> these are the these are the only parts yeah, I cut out. Uh -huh. All right, we're good. Man. Um, Go ahead. So yeah, like for the future, it's a tough call. Like I have some things in the works. I'm I'm working on a, a, a teaching and training manual in a way of really scientifically explaining to to the greater public how capoeira movements work and how to make them work. So it's it's a book that I'm working on. I'm hoping that that will come together and come to fruition. And then beyond there, I'd like to look at like teacher qualification courses because there are great martial artists who don't have great teaching experience. There are uh, highly skilled people that just don't have the life experiences that have allowed for them to get to a place where they can teach, they can motivate, they can uh, break things down, they can strategically um, create courses where the students are gonna have a, a long arc of, of improvement. Uh, so the, the idea behind the book and the teacher's courses is to really, like because before uh, I started teaching Papueta, I had uh, worked for Hilton Hotels and I did like a train to trainers course. I was a course, I was a skills trainer and they really teach you how to teach people how to acquire a skill and what's important in those levels and in the steps of progression. And like I say, with skill acquisition, I think there's a bunch of really clear steps that need to happen. Um, but these are uh, just some of my experiences inside and outside of Capoeira. Again, I have a, a personal training background. I have a military background. I've learned a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. And I think I have a, a perspective that has value for people beyond our own school, beyond our own group. So with the book and then the possible teachers courses in the future, I'm hoping that that will, uh, that will help out as I, as I get too old to stand in front of my kids' class and make them go, wow, Sock, you're really cool. Rather than, hey, Sock, do you need a seat? Can we get you a chair? Ice pack, so you know that's the dream. So, hold on, let me get this feedback. So, when you're older, if you've done your job, you will be able to still tie your shoe uh, without lifting it to a chair, because mobility becomes a definite challenge. Um, with Capoeira being so, you know, like. And this is where I don't know. This is why I ask, right? Because I know if you keep moving, if you keep the body moving, the body doesn't get time to seize or lose flexibility and, you know, uh, the being used to the movement. But, you know, there's also the mileage we put on our body uh, and, the, and, the, and the abuse we put on our body, the strain we put on our body. How do you plan to 
because I see different types of capoeira. I see the, you know, the explosive acrobatic, but I also see like the slower part. This, you know, the, the the beat is slower and it's more of a slower movement. You know, and for me, I look at that and I say, like, is that what guys or you know or women do? Like, this is good to do now, but is this something that you start to see uh, people also do in their later years in capoeira, or is that um, is that not the case at all? Because I think it's I think it's nice to see things done slowly um, for the sake of you know maybe your body can't take that explosiveness anymore, but I also even even being in your prime to be able to do a technique and a movement slowly i think is overlooked by young people young people want you know they want to fucking look great they want to post on instagram they want to do all the flips and look sexy and get all the girls but being able to do those movements slowly and that's a different type of training i think that's a strength that's even i think that's like a hidden gem to be able to do it slow and suspend yourself and be able to hold yourself that time over tension type of training for these younger guys would you recommend to you know definitely don't always worry about the flashy and the explosiveness work that stability and that um that slower movement as well absolutely any technique you're going to learn if you can't do it slow very well then you're never going to do it fast very well the way that our the myelin and the way that our bodies learn and program muscularly, uh, it, it takes time. Uh, and I talked about it before with touch time and stuff. I'm a huge fan of that book, The Talent Code. Have you read The Talent Code? No, but I'm well now. Oh, man, it's really, really great concept. So it's a book where the guy who wrote it traveled to all these talent hotspots around the world. He was like, okay, I'm going to go to Brazil and try to understand why they dominated soccer for a while. And I'm going to go to this... Um, Oh, yeah, right. I'm going to go to this place in Russia that has habitually created a, a, an abnormal number of professional tennis players. And then I'm going to go to this um, music school in the middle of the Midwest where Yo-Yo Ma and all these other like ridiculously talented musicians have come from. And I want to try to figure out what the things are that make people succeed that had that, that what are the teaching methods and what are the ways that things work that, that maximize the learning process and time under tension slow and mindful practice they're super super valuable the programming the muscle memory and the myelin because it's not just a brain synapse it's the sheaths of body and the, the fascia in your body that's connected to all the muscles that the signals are going through and the, the right firing of the right muscle at the right time and you can't do that at 100 miles an hour. Like even before I was saying like, you know, when you're trying to learn a new trick, you can't be in reflex mode. If you're in reflex mode for learning a technique, you're going to do something you've already done before. Your body's going to do this. You need to be slow and mindful. And then, so at this music school, he went and he looked and he was like, oh, they take like a sheet of music and they're like, this is the song you're going to learn. But they slice it up and they give you a piece at a time. And they're like, we want you to play that perfectly. And then they take it away and they give you another one. And they're like, we want you to play that perfectly. And then at the end of however long, they're like, here, here, play the whole song. And because the focus on the small pieces has been so prolific, the ability to perform the large piece is nothing. Because all these little pieces have been programmed and been built and been um, cleaned up and clarified. So 
the body will do what the body does. We adapt to whatever. So whatever sport you do, there are muscles that you use that are going to be strong and tight, and there are muscles that your body doesn't use so much in that sport that are going to become a little bit weaker and a little bit looser, and that's going to throw the balance off in the body. So finding ways to strengthen the areas of our body that are weak, finding ways to loosen the areas of our body that are tight is going to help us a lot. Like literally right now I have an issue with this high hamstring tendon and like it was a cataclysmic thing that blew it out. But half the reason is my hamstrings aren't as strong as my quads. They're pulling my hips too far forward, too far back. So I'm working to rebalance it. I've had issues with my knee before where capoeira is so much side to side movement that the outside of your quads and um, get really, really strong and tight and your adductors and the inside the VMO muscle on your quad gets underused and that pulls the knee out of place. So dynamic training is going to just make you better at what you already do well. Slow and mindful training is going to make you control your muscles more and that's going to give them more longevity deep, long ranges of motion are going to allow the fascia between your muscles to stay supple and to stay moist because the fascia between the muscles these days is being understood more and more and more. And if it's dry, then the fascia is like two tissues and they won't slide, they'll just break. And that's going to cause you problems. But if the fascia is like two wet wipes, they're going to keep sliding and there's fascia between the muscles, between the muscle fibers, between the muscles and the skin. And the fascia is one of the major things that gets blocked and gets stopped and takes away our ability to have ranges of motion. So finding things that are long and slow, even like yoga and like Tai Chi, are really valuable for us to improve our abilities, ability to control itself in movement, for ourselves to feel our bodies and that slower pace also allows that fascia in our body to stay supple, to stay uh, liquefied or, or moist. Um, and it's going to keep us moving for longer. In Capoeira, you see a lot of older mysteries. And I've played with Capoeira mysteries who were in their 70s. And I played with one in my second batizado. I had no idea what I was doing in Capoeira. I was literally a baby baby. And this dude was like 74 years old. And he read me like a book. He didn't have to move much to know what my next three choices were going to be. And he had an answer for every single one of them before I'd even considered asking the question. So he wasn't dynamic. He wasn't flipping. He wasn't jumping around. But he, he didn't navigate. Hey? But he didn't have to be. No, because he could navigate himself in the space. And then he knew all of the potential negotiations before I'd even made a decision. And maybe he doesn't go as deep. Maybe he doesn't jump as much. But I, I still know mysteries who are in their 60s who can still do all the way down to the floor, all the way back up, full bent ranges of motion in the knees. And knees get underutilized, right, or overutilized and imbalanced. But if we can have time under tension, holding our joints in longer, deeper ranges of motion, this again, why I think yoga is really valuable because we're bending and we're stretching and we're strengthening. But then we need to also examine what our art is, what the major muscles and the major movements in our art are, and then find ways to strengthen the ones that we're not using and find ways to lengthen the ones that we are. So, so as a, as a professor, hold on, let me get past this. Um, 
feedback. So as a professor, do you now, because you have this training and, um, you know, personal trainer as well as Capoeira, do you try to make that now like your your niche in the in the world of Capoeira where you could add that uh, physiolog physiological science behind it to um, like enhance your athletes, enhance your Capoeiristas where you incorporate this education of uh, anatomy and uh, rehabilitation in order for them to, to reach a, a peak performance? I try, but like everybody in life, we we don't we don't want to hear it until we need to hear it. Yeah, and maybe we need to hear it, but we have to hear it. I should say. But that's, a, but that's the thing; these young these young bucks out there, they don't like because fuck, man, we've all been there. We've all been young and full of piss and vinegar, like you know. I and and you know what? It's a real thing. Like when even when I was in my thirties, I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling a slowdown yet, man. I don't know. I don't see this coming and I'm 40 now and I, I definitely, I mean, I can still move, I can still go, but I, it's, it's not the same recovery. So whatever I do takes more effort. Now I can still do it. I can still get there, but it's like, a, it's like a, I gotta let the car warm up before I just leave the driveway. You know what I mean? Mm. I absolutely, I absolutely know what you mean. Yeah. Um, you know, I have I have students like for sure. The, the the other experiences that I've had absolutely influence the way I teach my classes, with the details and the understanding of the, how the body moves, how to make it move, and how to make it work. That's like the whole first section of my book. I think it's under underexposed. But there are other people in the Capoeira community that are coming up that are a lot younger than me, but they have like physical therapy kind of backgrounds that are sort of putting themselves into a YouTube niche for that. And that's fine. Um, but then when my students come along and I'm like, okay, so we're going to do this variation of this movement. That's a slight adjustment because I want your knees to last longer, you know, being in a full deep bent knee lunge with your heel off the ground and rotating 360 degrees isn't necessarily the best thing for your knee joints and your ankle joints. So I'm like, it's okay to do them, choose the right floor, and don't do them all the time because it'll add up and in time things will go. But you can see that 25-year-old being like, no, I'm, yeah, I'm fine, it's good. Just because yeah. you're broken doesn't mean I'll be. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, come and see me when you're 40. Yeah. It's, it's going to change. But, you know, I definitely I give them information and I give them um, the encouragement to continue that information. I personally have decided I don't want to give the instructor belt to someone who hasn't got at least the basic personal training and first aid levels of qualification because there's a lot of, it opens a window to information. But, you know, uh, I, I taught a class today and there was a, you know, I have, I have a pretty extensive stretch. I think there's a lot of important movements that need to be hit and I have a pretty set routine of the stretches that I do and there was a girl who was in class online like there was two students helping me and one of the girls has only been training since we started online six months in and because I'm sitting down with my injury I'm not doing all the movements and literally seven or eight times during the stretch she'd move into the next position like half a second before I would speak the next position 
so they're absorbing it via osmosis even if in their in their ego they're resistant to some of the information or some of the realities they're absorbing and they're taking it in so i'm like okay when i was a kid i had a lot of trouble and my mom sent me away and then i joined the military and uh, you know there was a day when i rang back and i was like hey you know what i get it and i'm sorry and i see what you were doing and i'm confident that there'll be days where i'll get those conversations from students who are looking at me now like mm, i don't know maybe it's just because you're old and broken <laughs> I'm, I'm confident that there'll be a day where they'll be like you know what so i get it yeah. So, again, it's hindsight, right? 2020 hindsight. But it's all good. As long as they're enjoying the journey and they're, they're taking the information in, I know that there's that level of osmosis when even if I right. feel like it's bouncing off, they're taking it in. But what I'm, I'm ready for this feedback to go by. But what I'm getting at is, you know, we all complain like, oh man, I wish somebody fucking told me. And if we just stopped and listened, we're being told every day or all the time, you know, and I think I think the youth nowadays, and it sounds so fucked up that I'm saying that because <laughs> I remember being the youth, but it's really like we need to respect the, the ones who came before us more because, you know, they were young ones and we don't think that, you know, and uh, everybody's got an experience. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a everybody's got something worth listening to and if somebody sees enough value in you to say hey you know what you might want to think about this because whether or not you're going to agree with them you owe them enough at least to listen to them because this person is giving you something now what what they give you depends on how you take it but if somebody's coming up to you and making an effort to express something to you why shut it down you know, and um, I think it, a lot of people would benefit from that because, you know, as we know, we know now as getting older and becoming instructors in our arts, when, when another instructor comes to you and tries to give you some gold, don't slap it away because you don't think it's as good as that steak because what he's giving you is, is, is more nutritious. You know what I mean? I think, I think students need to listen more and stop emulating less you know yeah for sure it's it's in part culturally right and technologically these days and ages where you know the the real guru is youtube and the real guru is google um because i can find out everything i don't need you <laughs> in Capoeira is really, really valuable. Uh, one of the things that Capoeira really values in the conversation is the listening. You get the younger, like young cocky bulls that come out and they just want to expose, uh, they just want to impress their will upon you. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. But that, uh, that lack of being in the moment because they're already a step ahead of themselves usually catches them in a situation where they come undone with a more older and more seasoned player because they don't do as much or speak like the physical dialogue of movement. They don't speak as much with their physical movement. They listen more and they wait to understand the nature of the conversation you're trying to deliver and that's how they're going to come. Many cultures around the world have a really profound respect for their aged 
they're more seasoned members of their families and their communities. And martial arts have traditionally always upheld that, no matter where you came from, or no matter what the art was and the culture of the country where it came from. Your master, your sifu, your sigun, your um, sensei, they all had an experience and a knowledge and they were also, again, we live in a very separated world. So, you know, the, the Capoeira Mestri 50 years ago was a, a major figurehead in the community. People would not be Capoeira students and have a problem in their little, you know, the little circumference that's their sphere of influence. And they go, hey, Mestri, I'm having a problem with the plumber. He didn't want to do this. And I've got another issue. Can you come and help me out? And the Mestri would like mediate and they would come and, and they would really be like a, like a grandfather to the community and they were respected and revered by the whole community. But now we live in a world where there's six million people that live in the middle of Toronto and everybody is on top of each other and some of that community is lost in the greater you know, uh, neighborhoods that we live in, which mm -hmm. then brings more value to having the, the martial arts uh, or movement cultures and art forms um, that are smaller pocket communities where people can be there for each other. I'm not just a teacher. I'm on the phone and I'm, I'm taking calls and I'm, I'm having students say, oh, look, this is going on in my life. What do you think? And at the same time, sometimes I unload some of my crap onto my senior students and I'm like, hey, how are we going to deal with this or what's going on? But having people that you can be there for and having people that can be there for you I think that's that's a valuable role in, in the communities of the outcomes. You said something there that sparked a thought in my head, and it's it's you know these are the these are the instructors that I think are the ones who truly empower their students and allow their students to become the next instructor. Because when an instructor spends his time being this uh, persona of this indestructible, all-knowing person what they don't realize and this this is for instructors who are up and coming um when you're when you try to think that i have to impress my student or i have to be this instructor that you know here's the thing we're all human we all have weaknesses when you are perceived weak in front of your student after working so hard to put up this persona everything deflates and is broken because you weren't real with your student when you let your student know that you also suffer and you have issue and you talk to them like a real human being, I think that's a beautiful thing because the student now knows, already knows you have knowledge because that's what's got them there in the first place. But when they see that you're actually going through shit and fighting through it and and continuously still working through that and, and are able to communicate that, I think it, it, gives, it exposes a layer to the student that lets this person, that makes you appreciate the instructor more. And that's something that I think it also comes down to, you know, again, with being a humble, you know, they say, you know, no ego, being humble. A lot of people say those fucking terms, but I don't think a lot of people live those terms. I'm just, <laughs> this is why I call it real people, real talk. You know, I'm, I'm just being honest because I've been through that too. You know, my first time, my first time having a program at a different school, I was like, oh my God, I don't even know if I should take it. And I asked my, my Sifu, Sifu, am I ready? He's like, yeah, man, I'm fucking ready. 
but there's you know as a new instructor you're like oh i gotta i gotta be you have this perception of what an instructor should be right and you know thank god i had instructors that kind of like no 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 it's okay like my, you you your goal as an instructor is to have your student be better than you you know and um that's an important thing and that and again like this this kind of character trait or or culture in martial arts I, I i wish people would realize it what it is and have it in everyday society because it's about it's about a bigger picture and it's about an impact on the next person's life right absolutely absolutely yeah a, a friend of mine from australia was just made a post like about a crossfit community that she was in and she was like oh you know i started three years ago because i wanted to just lose weight but I stay because of this and the community and the encouragement and the friendships and you know all of these other benefits that come from being part of a community. Um, I think uh, it's such a valuable thing to be able to deliver and also to be able to listen and also to be able to show your vulnerability. There's a great, oh, it's almost cliched statement that says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Oh, I love that. Uh, can you say that one more time, please? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That is brilliant. Just a brilliant. simple thought, right? But it makes that a difference. Uh, and yeah, like I, I felt silly uh, admitting that I unload stuff with my shooting sometimes, and I'm like, you know what? Well, I problem in that. And so it's, it's great to hear that that's a that's a thing. That's the same thing. I have a student of mine. His name is Samson, and uh, you know that guy's my family because I'm helping him um, learn something he's interested in. I have more experience in it than him. That's it. There's nothing special about it. I just been on this road a little bit longer. I'm just helping him. Hey, this way, you know. And then my growth is. I need to learn when I stop to say this way and hey, try this way. Because my goal, my path is different than my students. Even though we're on the same road, his path is not the same. And and that's the other thing about being humble as a martial artist is I need to understand, and this is where this is why I talk about these three main areas of like really a martial arts is three belts. And they're not something that's tangible. Right there's there's the process of learning, the moment of proficiency, and knowing when to become that person that continues it, not for the person, but for the good of the art, preservation, or culture, right? And you know this guy has gone through experiences that I will never know. And he was a marine. He watched people get blown up in front of him, you know, and uh, he came home and he. You know, he had to deal with shit and, you know, um, he found martial arts and, and, and so the martial arts made him come back. But what this guy had already been through, I've never been through. So like, you know, people don't realize how amazing they are. You know, the fact that they're able to listen to somebody else is an art in its own. The fact that they're willing to say, yes, you know something I don't know. Can I have it, please? You know that that's that's a fucking skill in its own because the problem is when people start to learn they think they have nothing left to learn 
And the truth is we never stop because we're never going to be young forever. We're never going to move the same forever. You know, but what we're learning is experiences along the way. And if we don't learn from them and be able to at least give the next guy a shortcut, then what the fuck is the point? Because then it's selfishness. It's an endeavor of selfishness, right? And so, like, my students, they, their life experience, I'm, I listen. I learn from them because I haven't experienced it. So I'm your student now. You know what I mean? And that's when you have that kind of, like, love between a student instructor but also able to acknowledge that you're also my teacher, that's a different level, right? Yeah, def definitely. I, I said this another one of my cliches, right? You, we are the sum of our experiences. Nobody's had your experiences. Nobody's had my experiences, only me. Uh, and so, you know, as I said, like the, the masters that came before Mr. Cicatriz and Mr. Lothar, they all came with their own experiences and they deliver and they add and they hope to find the shortcuts that will help their students, grandfathering them to a, a shorter, more efficient path of gaining the levels of proficiency in the middle so that then when they then go and pass it on forward and they start grandfathering, that the continued evolution of the art and not even just the evolution of the art, the evolution of the understanding of the art and how to teach it and how to present it continues to grow. And I, 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 I you know, I've seen masters that, and back in the day, there were stories where you know you play in capoeira with a, a teacher, and, and you might accidentally show a sweep or show touch a little thing on the face with a little foot, and they get so mad and they try to destroy you. And like every time, I, I have a couple of students that that catch me every now and then, and I get that little foot in the face or I get that little thing. I'm like, that's awesome, good job. And they're like, you're not mad. And I'm like, no, I got to train more. That's my problem. That's my fault. My rule in Capoeira is uh, if I kick, because it's, it's, it's a game where more often than not, I, I won't. I'll stop my foot or I'll make you move with my kick, but my intention isn't to hit you. So my rule is if I hit you and I did not mean to hit you, it's my fault. If I hit you and I did mean to hit you, it's your fault. Because you should have read the movement and you should move away. But yeah, if, if I get a sweep or if I get a student show a takedown, I'm like, awesome, I'm doing my job. I would love to see them at a level where they're 10 times better than me in half the time. That's, that's the measure the of success. Yeah, that's absolutely. the measure of instructor. So, Professor, we've got, about, we've got two hours, man. Um, I feel like we could, I, I, I could go another hour with you, no problem. But is there any message you want to get out there to the viewer before I wrap this up? If there's anything we missed, if there's anything, you know, that you, you really want to make sure that is expressed, well, what is it? Well, you capoeira or anything to do with anything. What can you just do to just, just as an as an addendum to what we were just saying, um, and it also goes to that um, people don't care how much you know till you know how much you care. Is uh, the concept that when you because your students do speak for you, right? Your your students are the measure of what you are as a teacher. But here's a thought. Don't measure yourself on your most talented athletic students. Measure yourself and your success on the students that struggle the most. Mm. 
because not everybody is going to take it on. And I could have a super talented student come to me and a super talented, uh, their, their twin brother or sister, super talented, go somewhere else, and they're both going to be successful. But you take a student who struggles with learning or struggles with um, movement and struggles with music, whatever it is that doesn't come easy, and they keep working and they keep growing and they keep coming back. Because how many people go, it's too hard and leave at certain levels. And then you never see them again. And the shelf life or the retention of your student base sometimes is massively affected by the fact that all your attention goes to the talented ones. You've got talented ones and you've got lifers. They're always going to be there. But you have students that love it but struggle. Yeah. Their retention, their ability to perform your techniques and your skills are a real sign of your level of proficiency as a teacher and as a coach and as a human being. That kind of that kind of um, that kind of talk just confirms, you know, that's something you hear from an experienced not an experienced martial artist, an experienced instructor. Because it's very easy to take credit for somebody who's naturally gifted. <laughs> somebody who's naturally gifted requires guidance. You know, it's the ones who aren't gifted that require the work. And, yeah. uh, the, and the proof is in the pudding. And um, with that being said, Professor, I'm going to wrap it up. I, I just want to say I, I genuinely enjoy speaking with you. I think you're a very good uh, balance between uh, a practitioner who has actual like good skill, but also is a good instructor and uh, articulates the art well and understands it on multiple layers, um, not just from your mesh, but from your own personal research and effort. And uh, you're a good leader, you're a good instructor. Um, I see it when I come there, I see it in your students. You know, that's the first thing I judge. I, I jump around to many gyms, Professor, and uh, I'm, I'm not looking to be a master of any. Uh, jack of all trades, but I say master of self. And, um, mm. And uh, I, I travel and, and I learn and I I like to be the guy who doesn't know shit in the room and, and just take a little a little magic home with me. And um, But the first thing I judge a school on is how their students interact with, with the new guy. And um, that's what gives me the impression of the school. And it was a good impression of your school. So I want to thank you for your leadership. Thank you for all your hard work in the art. And... Um, and, and thank you for, for the real talk. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. A pleasure and honor. Always wonderful to have you in class. It always motivates and excites me. Um, and an honor to be included in these uh, real talks. Thank you. All right, guys. Check out Professor Sequech at Cadera Capoeira. Website is posted below. I guarantee you, you will get a workout. You will have fun. And it's a contagious place to be at. Um, even in these trying times, if they can reach out to you in Zoom, are they available? How can they reach out to you to, to try one of your classes? I have a, I have a, like a, a massive huge database of classes, online classes uh, and basic classes. I filmed a whole bunch of just Capoeira for Absolute Beginners videos 
if people are interested, uh, I can give them access to those. I'll give them a month for free, and if they enjoy it, then they can keep coming back, and, and we can work on a subscription basis. I think it's important to get through a level of basic fundamentals before you start trying to join the online class. Otherwise, it's just going to frustrate you because it is so complex and it is so challenging. But uh, I'm, I'm more than willing to work with anybody who's, who's willing to try. It's fun. Check this, check this man out, man. He's a good person. He's a good instructor, and he's a good martial artist. Thanks once again, Professor, for being on the parlay. And you know what? I'm definitely down for having you back if you're willing. Awesome. I love you. Take care, brother. Thank you, my friend.